welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up, it's working. Time for a retro perspective. Welcome back to You Can't Kill the Boogeyman, the retrospective series on the Halloween movies that is here hosted on Nerd Party Network. I am one of the people thrilled to bring you chills, John Mills, and with me is Matt Hanson. Matt, how are you tonight? That was very smooth. I'm, I'm good. How are you? I am. I am. Uh, I'm just honestly, I'm just I don't think I'm going to get better than that intro. So I might I might as well just bow out and just let you talk for for a while here we'll just let you we'll just repurpose that intro every time we do one of these shows <laughs> oh please by don't the, <laughs> by the time we get to rob zombies <laughs> halloween too the listeners will love hearing that out of your mouth every single time <laughs> i i don't know now i'm, I'm heavily reconsidering that but <laughs> but something everybody should consider is going over to the nerdparty.com and checking out all of the shows that we offer of course you got star wars star trek doctor who nerd nuptials uh uh, Babylon 5 web series now. We got a whole video series on Babylon 5 going on right now. So, uh, you know, head on over, check us out. TheNerdParty.com slash contact if you want to send a note to filibuster, let us know, uh, you know, f- your thoughts about the the yeah. Halloween series. Uh, so many nerd topics, so little time. But the reason yeah. you and I are here on this show week after week is that we are counting down to David Gordon Green's Halloween yes. 2018, which is only but a few weeks away at this point, And the hype levels for me are rising steadily. Yeah, same here. I am, I am very, very excited. Uh, I have been watching the Twitter feed and enviously seeing the film festivals and the comic cons where the shape is showing up and people can meet up with the shape and get that Sankovich poster and it's killing me because I'd love to have I don't know like knowing you would you like to take a picture with the shape given your how freaked out you are by the mask and everything you know it's funny you mentioned that before we get into the movies I do want to share that uh, living in Orlando has its advantages one of them being that I was able to go to Halloween Horror Nights this year over at Universal Oh, did you do the the for the well we're doing Halloween four did you do the maze uh, I did the Halloween Four House, yes, and I can tell you that um, it was horrifying. I reverted to childhood. Uh, Sean Eastridge, who we talked about Halloween Two with over on Missing Frames, uh, you can of course go on over and check that out as well uh, when it airs. But we um, we went down there. And Sean went with me. His lovely wife had gone with him into the Halloween Two house, which I did not go to. Oh, I didn't even know there was a Halloween Two house. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was two years ago. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, and she was so traumatized by that she refused to go into the Halloween Four house. And I was saying to Sean, "What am I doing? Why? Why am I doing this to myself?" And in the line, you know, like you're out in a theme park, and it's fine. It's whatever. You're not worried about anything. And then as you get closer. You start hearing the music over the little PA system, and I'm thinking to myself, "Well, I know that the, I know how I'm going to behave. I know how right. I'm going to behave. You know, because you know, you try to talk it up, and you're like, oh, I bet you I'll punch him when I see him.' But I know inside that I'm just going to be paralyzed you're, with fear. You're just gonna you're gonna scream like a little girl and when I you see him. I did. Uh, I am not too proud to admit that at one point, and Sean got a huge kick out of this. What they do is they rec- you basically walk through the plot of the movie. 
Right. So when you start out, you're in the hospital that he's in the coma in at the beginning of Halloween 4. And the first time you encounter him, he's in the hospital gown with the wrapped up face. So he's got the bandages. Yeah, yep. that's cool. But that's not too bad. I'm like, yeah, okay. You, oh, well, hey, it, jump scare. It's not the face. Right. It's- Ooh, jump scare. Hey. And then we go into the next part, and it's the house. And it's darker, and it's the house. And the music changes, and the sound the ambient noise changes. We go along, and at one point, all that this person in the costume did, God bless them, they didn't, I don't think they even had a knife in their hand or anything. They just walked out, and they were right next to me. And uh, Sean will forever have the memory of me putting my hands up by my head, going, no, 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 and like taking off through the room. Like I was petrified. I was yeah. absolutely petrified. I came out of that thing shaking because as I tried to explain to my kids, I know it's not real, but this is literally the boogeyman to me. And yeah. you can't kill the boogeyman. So, oh my gosh. Well, you think that's the thing is like, I, I thought about myself like doing these things. And if I was there, I'm a Halloween fan. Of course I have to do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just one of those things that I can't get around. But like we're so used to watching the films and almost in a sense, you know, not that Michael Myers gets old, but you almost get like I see these films all the time that you sort of get desensitized to what it was like the first time you saw it and how scary it originally was. But then I see these pictures of these people standing next to shapes that actually have like really good looking masks. Like they don't look like the cheap store masks at these events. They actually look like the real thing. Yep. And I, I put myself in that position, like, I don't know how I would feel like standing next to the guy. I mean, I know obviously he's not going to kill me and he's not really Michael Myers, but just standing next to someone with that mask on. Yeah. I don't know. And certainly watching a couple of the clips from the new one where they, where I've seen how Myers acts, it's like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. I haven't felt this way about Michael Myers in years. Very true. And I can... I can imagine that people who went back and saw Halloween four in the theaters after knowing full well, what happened to him at the end of Halloween two, um, had to also actively suppress the memory of Halloween three, even though he wasn't in it. It was the grand failed experiment. Yeah, it really, I think failed experiment is a great way to put it, Matt. Yeah, it really kind of is, isn't it? It really kind it was of their is. attempt to turn the Halloween series into a Twilight Zone anthology that would come out every year. But here's the question, right? The fundamental underlying boldness of that plan in the era before streaming is banking on the idea that people want to plunk down their hard-earned money on essentially a big screen Twilight, you know, serialized. Like, right. Uh, I think it was duologies. They wanted to do duologies. Halloween one and two were going to be a story three and then three ends purposely on a cliffhanger so that they could have four. Four. But Halloween three really is, it's not just a failed experiment. I think it's kind of a fascinating failure, don't you? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way I I do about three that I do when we get to six because six has some some of the most dramatic behind the scenes uh, uh, stuff going on and I mean just like six three feels like a fever dream of a film yeah you know I give six more credit than three um, just because I I think the producers cut 
redeem six. We'll, we'll be talking about that in a little bit. But three, in all honesty, what, what's most fascinating about three for me is the fact that it feels like a pulpy trash novel from the 50s brought to life. It doesn't feel like it even belongs in the 80s. You know what it is, John? I have the, the best comparison that I can make is that Halloween 3 is one of the the shorts from Creepshow extended into a full movie. Perfect. That is uh, that is a spot-on perfect uh, characterization of it. It, like really, it, would, really it would work in a 20-minute segment. It would, does not work in an hour 30 segment. I think you're absolutely right. I think I think that's it. Because there are some interesting things about it. There's the masks, which that scene where the kid gets turned into bugs, spoilers. Um, it's still creepy. Yeah, it's it's still a, a neat scene. It's cheesy fun to see bits of Stonehenge chipped off and <laughs> hammered the into The fact that they uh, were able to chips. remove a bit of Stonehenge and then ship it overseas is hilarious. <laughs> With nobody noticing. Ticky 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 tick. It's like it's it's almost like you expect to see like a little uh Keystone Cops sort of thing. But then where did no, the stone the, go? So the, the, you're saying that the people patrolling Stonehenge were the cops from part five? <laughs> yes. Complete with their music. Yeah. Yeah. The slide whistles. Yeah. Well, since they were over across across the Atlantic, maybe Yakety Sax was playing in the background. Yeah, I was going to say that the Benny Hill music was <laughs> was playing. Um, yeah, it's just a weird film. Yeah. Um, there uh, are certain things. There are certain things I like about it, but I honestly think, though, that <laughs> time was certainly not their friend because, of, in terms of marketing, because I really do think that not that it would have been like lauded as this horror classic, but if it was just called Season of the Witch, it may have done better. It wouldn't have had such a negative connotation to it. You really are kind of cheating people out of the fact that there is no Michael Myers in it by calling it Halloween 3. Completely agree. I, I completely agree. Even if you took the naming convention, you were like season of the witch, the Halloween saga or something like that. Or but, even if it was just Halloween colon season of the witch. Right. The fact that you put that three on there means it's follow. You expected to follow one and two. And I'm sure that tons of people walked out of it saying F this movie. Michael Myers isn't even in it. And right. people saying, no, really? He's not in it. And then not bothering to go see it. Although I, I will say that. Um, as much as I have a cheesy affinity for it, uh, because this is another movie, another one of the Halloween movies, my first encounter with it was on television. Um, I tend to have the reaction of it that uh, mirrors the end of the movie when I see it turn on. Turn it off. Turn yes. it off. Turn it off. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, true to form, you can tell that the guy is making the new 2018 film are real fans because you see a couple kids in that trailer walking around with the silver shamrock masks on. Yes, which is which is so glorious. It's so um, magnificently glorious to see that. I love that there is that nod. I I mean, come on. That, that, it's let's, great. let's have fun with it. And, you know, speaking of having fun with it, though, like that is something... And I know that I know that I've said this before, but I think Halloween three and the fact that we then jump into Halloween four is I I I bang this drum, I I toot this trumpet, however you want to put it. Horror movie fans are the gold standard of franchise fans. <laughs> because we can take our punches, we can take our disappointments, 
And then when the next one comes up, we go, this one's going to be it. We're going right. to make this one work. We, we live in perpetual hope. Exactly. And speaking of perpetual hope, we wind up in Halloween 4, specifically yeah, which, the return of Michael Myers. I know. I mean, you, the thing is, so it's six years later. This is 88. So we're actually coming toward the end of the 80s slasher craze. Yeah. But so Halloween's coming back and watching the marketing materials for this one. It's hilarious. Like they underline the fact that don't worry, Michael Myers is in this one. Right. We, we promise you the reason you want to pay to see this movie is going to happen. And it's funny, though, because this one is I'm aware enough of the marketing by this point in my own life, you know, and I was talking about this with a friend of mine, guy that I've known since high school, who's another huge Halloween fan. And he, like, I was down for it. You know, the return of Michael Myers. Like, oh, my gosh, it's him. It's him. Whereas he remember, his recollection of it is that he saw, you know, 10 years ago, Michael Myers. You know, yeah, they have a thing. trailer where they actually, like, do a Texas Chainsaw-like scroll at, the, scroll at the beginning of it. Right. And he said his reaction was, didn't he blow up and burn at the end of the yeah. second one? And they really do take a, uh, I mean, let, let's go ahead and, and well, call this is, Yeah, I mean, this is, we'll say it right up front. This, this Halloween 4, we've now crossed into the supernatural. I would say also it's a, it's a uh, soft reboot, sort of along the lines of uh, The Force Awakens in concept or Fast and Furious 4, where, to speak to your point about the supernatural, if you haven't watched Halloween 2 on video a lot, and keep in mind, you know, like VHS doesn't become like a a real home ownership thing until shortly before shortly before. Yeah, I guess Halloween the only way you would have caught these, like if you were the regular viewers, either if you I don't even think rental stores were very big at this time either. So I think you only caught it if you saw like, you know, they would put it on as the movie of the week on NBC or something like that. Right. Or, I mean, in the VHS market, you know, the, the videotape market, there were it wasn't the Netflix market where I could get off of this call with you and go over to Netflix and say, I want to watch this. Oh, it's not on that. I want to go to Amazon Prime. Oh, it's a, you you went the, going to the video store was a thing. You I know, know like, and it was a it gamble. Was a it, was <laughs> it was a, a gamble in the sense that uh, you had to hope that your movie was there and it wasn't checked out. Otherwise, you drove a long way for nothing. Right. And you might grab something else. You might not see Halloween 2 for years. And so they're able to get away because it, this is the setting of that that age of being able to get away with this. But they're able to get away with saying, oh, no, 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 he didn't, he didn't burn. Well, I mean, he burned, but he didn't burn to death. He just got scars, and so we'll right. just put some makeup on his hands, make sure you know. And he's in a yeah. That was a, there was a very small explosion at the end of two. It wasn't. Right. It's not like the half the hospital corridor blew up. Right, right, exactly. And you didn't see him. You know, oh, you might have seen him walk out, but you know, implied is that somebody ran in with a fire extinguisher right after that shot of the Afterward. mask. Yeah, <laughs> like they ran in, they ran in. He's right. okay, and somehow Donald Pleasance also didn't. Uh, get his ashes scattered across Haddonfield. No, but he's got a, he's got a like a you know a few fun scars though. Yes. <laughs> so it it happened, but I mean, it's all good. He still looks like Donald Pleasance, even though at this point he should probably look like Freddy Krueger. That's true. I, you know, although the the biggest the biggest question you could possibly have coming into Halloween Four is 
I, I can only imagine. Let, let's let's retcon it. Let's accept the retcon and say that Loomis survives and Michael Myers isn't dead. Do you right. see any situation where he doesn't somehow get into that hospital and put a bullet in his brain? You know, like just like what do I have to do? Like to, like I I can see him being at the point where he just finds a way in. He's in a coma. I'm going to cut his head off and everything's going to be done. Well, I guess because he they took it. He's no longer his patient. I mean, they, they pretty much say that at the beginning that they took custody of him since the night of Halloween, too. So I guess it, that given the, and given the fact that this man now walks, well, I, I, I lied. He's got a few fun scars and he's got a limp when he yeah. remembers that he has a limp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I guess maybe he couldn't limp his ass to the, to where the Michael was being kept downstairs to put the bullet in him. Right. Right. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I just think, I just find it hilarious after all this time <laughs> that no one ever thought to decapitate him until H2O. Like, right. Yes. Just the, the people in the film, you know what I mean? It's like nothing else is working. Let's just chop his head off. Let's right. dismember him. Right. Yeah. He would have to be one of the robots from Silver Shamrock to survive that. Um, yeah. But I, I will say, I, you know, we're sitting here having fun. I, I think the movie starts off pretty darn good. Yeah, I do. This is the first um, this is the first Halloween where we don't like start off with a zoom in on a jack-o'-lantern. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like it's it's kind of like this creepy fall vibe mm-hmm. where, where you're just watching like, you know, farms and you hear the blowing wind and it's 10 years later. And I think the opening to this where, where the two orderlies are going to the hospital to pick up Michael Myers is really effective. Yeah. I mean, it captivates it. When I first saw it, I, I I don't have as strong a memory of this as going immediately back for two, but I know I saw all these films within a month of each other because mm-hmm. I was such a fan. So it must have been shortly after I saw two that I went to four. I skipped three because I had heard about three. Um, <laughs> but I remember like being drawn into this right away with this opening. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm down with it and I, I'm even down with where we eventually end up after he does the inevitable breakout um, because, you know, of course, somebody has to bring up his family and, every, you know, of, of course, you have conversations like this. My, the, the bigger question is, why are they transferring him again? This is exactly what got you into trouble the last time. Right. And, you know, never mind the fact also that the hospital he's in, like the thing that comes to mind and especially having, you know, walked through the recreation in the haunted house is like it's sort of like Arkham Asylum. Where yeah. like when you think about it for a second, I thought he was look, doing, that's the thing yeah. is like, he's down buried in like a, in like a steel cage area. It's like, I think he's doing fine just here. Let's, let's keep him here. Right. There's no, <laughs> there's no real need to move him. Uh, and, but, but it's also, you know, looking around when you consider the surroundings, you think to yourself, wow, that like, I always thought that, you know, this would be a condemned hospital or something like that. You know, it is. It's like going to Arkham Asylum. It's like you'd never put somebody who needs help in a place like this. Well, that's the thing crazy. is that I think they're finally acknowledging, along with the supernatural thing. Yeah. They're acknowledging that, you know, after the events of one and two, this guy is beyond any kind of treatment. We just need to keep him locked up until he dies. Or we need to transfer him in an ambulance. One right. of the two. One of the two. <laughs> but I do like the way that they introduce this sort of psychic connection because I'm a sucker for that as a plot device. I like that. 
that's the sort of thing that, that gets my buy-in because I love that sort of stuff. Now, please elaborate psychic connection because psychic connection comes in in the next one, but what are you referring it to it here? Oh, her dream in the beginning. She has a dream about her uncle Michael in the beginning. Is that a psychic connection or is that just based on what she knew being around her mom? I always took it as a psychic connection because she can picture him and she also in that that sequence she sees him in the way that you know that we have and she's never encountered him in her life. Right. So by I've the always... by the way for the listeners the, the she that we're referring to is Daniel Harris's Jamie Lloyd who we find out in this film is is Laurie Strode's daughter. Laurie and her husband are quote unquote dead. Um, I say quote unquote, because they retcon that in H2O. Yes. Um, but, um, so Jamie Lee Curtis is out of the picture. She's off doing fish called Wanda at this point in 1988. Yeah. Respectable um, stuff. Yeah. So we've got Danielle Harris who, um, I'll just say up front. I mean, if you listen to me on any podcast, you know, of my lack of affinity for child actors, but I do think that as, as shaky as, four can be and especially as shaky as five can be she's the one thing that's consistently good she gives a great performance for a little you know she i think she was she said she was 10 or 11 at the time oh she does she gives she gives a great performance but it, it's interesting to me you didn't take that opening as her having a psychic connection to him i guess it makes sense when you put it that way i just I don't know what the opening is kind of weird past the point when he, when he breaks out of the ambulance, because I mean, it's a nightmare sequence, but I didn't know where it was coming from because they, they, they emphasize the, the, the um, psychic connection really heavily in five in the next yeah. ones. They don't really touch upon it here. It's left, I guess, to be implied, but I never, I don't think I ever thought of it that way. Not that it doesn't make sense. Well, I still really, really like it. It's a really good shot uh, when the lightning flashes and you see his reflection in the mirror as she walks by in the middle. I guess it, it does make more sense than, you know, why would Lori want to traumatize her daughter by talking about this guy? <laughs> right. <to her? laughs> yeah. Like, now, here's a picture of him. And right. the, this is how he dressed. Although I guess nobody took a picture of him, did they? No, because there isn't, no, isn't there a picture of, of him in the, in the shoebox later? Yeah, but. Where would that picture have come from? I don't know. Maybe she, maybe Lori was given like their, the rest of her family's belongings after they uncover the fact that she's their daughter. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, Danielle Harris, I think this is a really strong, uh, I, you know, you said it, uh, you know, when we talked about Halloween 2, they're shackled by this point to the family connection. And I, I just think that this is a very interesting uh, way to go about it. And also to carry on this idea of the strong female lead, it's not just Danielle Harris, but she has, you know, somebody with her, a protector sort of figure. A foster sister. This is uh, Ellie Cornell as Rachel Carruthers. And she's a good, strong character. Like they, they do a good job of picking up the baton and understanding that this audience expects to see strong female lead. There's no yeah. attempt to switch it out and be like, oh, well, now it's going to be a guy or anything like that. It's strong female lead. And also by pairing her up with Rachel, making her survivability believable because you're never going to buy that an 11-year-old gets away the same way that Lori Strode did. 
Right. That it's it's going to be something where not she's without going help. To, right. She's going to need help, and you can't just fall back on Loomis. Right. right? Loomis because is going to come into play. Of course he is. Loomis is going to come into play, but like I keep saying, he's he's um he's still injured. He like he's not he doesn't have the strength that he did ten right. years ago. So. Right. Well, of course, you know Michael has escaped, and you know, uh, you know, murder ensues, and uh, we're going along here, mm-hmm. and we have you know the the ratcheting tension, and we have the build, and then we have. I do like the scene very much where Loomis tracks him down at the gas station, and yeah. they just have that short little confrontation. Yeah, you know, don't go back to Haddonfield, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that is good, and the thing is, this is I think that this is. For the flaws that there are in Halloween, this is 4, solid. The script, the script is good. I, yeah. I think that this is a really. The, I think I think that the thing that makes Halloween four, despite whatever other issues there might be with execution, everything starts with a good script, and I think that there is a good script at the core of this film, and I think that's the reason why, on my rewatches you know oh i might nitpick the mask or i might nitpick the tactics and you know we'll and we'll get in deeper discussion about that but i think that at the core there is a good story here there is yeah. a good cohesive story that makes sense from beginning to end there's an inter- this is what i say about this film like separating it from the slashers of its time like the friday the 13th and what have you is that unlike those movies, this still has a, what you said, like a pretty cohesive story that evolves from the last sequel. But also, I mean, the difference between those, those franchises and this one I've always maintained since part one was that yes, there's gore. Yes, there's violence, but these are, these are actual characters and not just archetypes like they are in the other film on the other franchises. Yeah. And as long as they have that going for them, it's, I think it's no coincidence that the films that have that going from them, specifically the strength of the characters, are the good ones, and the ones that don't are not the good ones. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with the inclusion of people like Jamie and Rachel in this one, you still have people that you want to see survive. It's always the tipping point for the franchise when you start rooting for the killer. That's when, it, that's when you've jumped the shark. But here, I still, want, I still care about Jamie, and I still care about Rachel and Dr. Loomis. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think you're you're spot on with that. Although I will say that um, I tend to turn on characters when they do dumb things in tense situations, like suddenly decide that this is the time to have sex. It really seems like that. I mean, that's just throwing. Does that happen in this film? Yes. Yeah. Uh, when? Uh, the uh, the blonde girl. Um, she... They have sex before they, they come in. Is it before they come in? They it's before they but come in the power- because she's like my my dad's coming, you know, get dressed, and so they have no idea of the crisis that's going on. I thought they did. Why do I think? Why did I read it that they did? Am I just conflating it in my my brain? Yeah, right you now? might just be confused about the sequence of events. No, but they have sex, and then the sheriff arrives with Jamie and Rachel and Doctor Loomis. But what? But wait a minute. Wasn't the there were? Why am I thinking? Maybe it's just that the. You know what it is? It's that because the sequence of events, I know that there's trouble coming. 
that that's probably getting transferred onto the characters. And but, you may have gotten confused too, because before Rachel and Jamie and Dr. Loomis and the sheriff come back to the house where they're having sex, Jamie and Rachel had already visited that house while they were trick or treating. And that's when she finds out that her boyfriend is cheating on her. Yeah. Um, so you might just be confusing the two events, but no, I mean, I hear what you're saying in terms of like people just having sex at inappropriate times, but technically they did not know the crisis was going on when that was that, when that was happening. Well, I guess I also have a reaction to uh, scenes like this in movies and, uh, you know, in the slasher genre, it's going to happen. You know, you just, it's just a question of time till this happens, especially in the eighties, but it's just, it's a scene that's really just throwing chum in the water for the right. sharks sort of thing and i don't know it's like, but it says compared to some of the other stuff in the 80s and the other sex scenes of the 80s this one's not as dare i say exploitive i mean i don't even think you see her boobs i think he covers her or covers her breast with his hands uh i i don't know i just i i just don't care for the scene and i'm and the thing is i <laughs> i'm I'm not a prude. I'm not sitting there saying like, you shouldn't have these. Like I, again, I get it. I know the genre that I'm in. I understand. People and enjoy premarital sex, John. It, it happens. And <laughs> the thing is, it's not like there's not precedent in the series, you know, in one and two, they have scenes, uh, including, you know, the, the famous in the hospital scene in, uh, in or even the first, two. the first one with Bob and Linda. Right. Yeah. But I mean, the one in the, in the, in Halloween two is more the hot in, tub. yeah it's more in keeping with a uh, slasher movie sort of thing, uh, whereas the Bob and Linda thing seems much more organic to the story. Uh, I think that this is this is much more like the hot tub scene where it's like oh okay this is the scene we're supposed to have now all right, right. yeah okay let's get through you're this. saying it feels more obligatory yeah exactly exactly I I can get that. But, uh, they, you know, eventually things do come to a head, of course. And uh, Michael gets into the house through, I guess you could say, the stupidity of that deputy. Yeah. <laughs> By who notices the back door of his car open and just thinks, oh, well, that couldn't possibly be that somebody was hiding right. back there. It's no wonder, like, I, once again... I it's a great scene though. I do love it when <laughs> the sheriff and Loomis go back to the police station and everybody is dead and it's in total disarray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, God, you have the worst police force in this town. Yeah. yeah that'll, that'll only get followed up in, uh, in five, in five, but you would, you know, just, you would think that like after that Halloween night in 78, not that it's not to compare things, but you would think it would be like a, like there was like a nine 11 response. Like, Right. Halloween night, we have increased security everywhere. Everyone's paranoid that this is never going to happen again. You know, that sort of thing. Well, that's the thing that I think is, uh, and, uh, you know, not to show too much leg for the next uh, conversation that we're going to have, but I, I, that's one of the things where I tip my hat in Halloween 6, where yeah. Haddonfield is a town where they're like, Halloween is banned. Yeah, no, that, that's actually something I, I can get on board. That's one of the things I can get on board with with six. It's like, yes, finally, yeah. we're doing something about it. Yeah, maybe this will uh, suppress his urge to uh, to murder everybody and come back from the grave repeatedly. Although he, he never comes back from a grave. But, uh, right. you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll keep him away, uh, as it were. But when we do get to the house and we get to the... Michael getting in um, I do think that again there's some really good 
cinematography that happens. And yeah. one of the things that haunts me, and I'm going to get your read on it, is the scene where the, the deputy is sitting in the chair, in the rocking chair, and you see the shape's face in the background, and then he turns and the shape's gone. And But you know he's there. Like it, It's sort of like one of those things that sticks with you. Yeah. One of the things that definitely stuck with me in terms of cinematography in this film is actually when Rachel, no, it's not Rachel. It's um, uh, the sheriff's daughter discovers that uh, she shines the light over where the deputy is supposed to be sitting and she sees the corpse and the actual person sitting there gets up and it's Michael. Yeah. That <sighs> sequence is great. Yeah, that that is, that is. And it's, and you know, and it's frustrating too because you sit there and this is sort of a flaw with everybody who views, uh, you know, slasher or a horror film or, or suspense or whatever, is you always have the advantage of being smarter than the people yeah. who, where things are happening to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, much like the, the haunted house taught me, you never know what you're going <laughs> to, how you're going to behave until you're in the situation. But that's why it's essential for these horror movies to yeah. get, get us to like the characters because if they do stupid things, we're still going to be on their side because we already like them. That's why something like in the first movie, when Laurie decides to go walk across the street, you know, it's in there and you're yelling, you know, don't be stupid. Don't go over there in that house. You have no idea what's waiting for you. But even though it's kind of a dumb thing to do, we still are on her side because we like her. And I think right. the same holds true for like Jamie and Rachel in this film. I agree. I agree. And I, but I can still, you know, now, especially looking at it, it's, you know, when they, when they, they basically make the front door impossible to get out of and they have everybody stationed on the floors. And the only thing I can think is everybody go up to one location, everybody sit in a circle with the girl in the center. Everybody has their guns pointing outward yeah, and just let them come. And have a great it's time. It's one of those things that, like, I think I saw it in some cartoon spoof or something, like, where, you know, there's a murderer about, and they, you know, let's all split up. Yeah. And it's like, what, what, what are we doing? Let's let's just all link arms and walk cohesively as one unit throughout this house until we find out who the killer is. Right. And so they do. Yeah. I, you know, and it's, uh, it, actually, you know what, that reminds me of, um, oh, I, I, I want to say it's a Geico ad or something like that, where, uh. Yeah, you know, everybody runs and they wind up in the in the killer's, you know, shack or whatever. And the killer Oh, and they all do stupid things. Yeah. Right. And and the killer like he actually like lifts up his mask and rolls his eyes. Yeah. Oh, geez. Um That's hilarious. I remember seeing that before uh movies in the theater, because they I think they do play that. But yeah. Just like this car won't start. Why don't we make this loud noise with the phone? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, of course, you know, everything keeps the, the tension keeps going. And then we get to uh, the, the hillbilly truck chase. Oh, the Michael hillbilly Mice. squad. Yeah. By the way, I just love how they, you know. Well, damn, they're, they're more confident than the police force because they see that they see that shit's going down and they organize. They get off their asses at the bar and they all go on patrol duty. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What I love is like Loomis gives them the information you need and the sheriff is all pissed off and Loomis just goes, you haven't got a police force. Yes. You know, it's, yes. It's awesome. Hey. I, I, as stupid as it is, I love the hillbilly squad. If you live in an area where there are a lot of hunters and they care about their town, 
they're going to they are going to be down with that and they're going to you know deputize the hell out of everybody man get them all on board i i, I know and then they end up killing some poor schmuck well yeah. accident well you know hey that that's sort of a tradition in the halloween franchise as well oh yeah we, we didn't really talk about it i guess we will on missing frames poor ben tramer yes i mean he he had a date with Lori all ready to go yeah and now him now he's burnt to a crisp uh, yeah, to the point where they need uh, dental records. But you know that that's that's definitely a uh, 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 you know a tradition of the the Halloween franchise of the mistaken identity because of the mask. Yeah, and, but also too with the Hillbilly Squad, their leader is Earl because yeah. of course he's named Earl. Of course he is. Of course <laughs> he is. But we get to our we get to our you know tense truck chase and our our action beat, I guess. Yeah, you want to talk about Gore? I yeah. mean, part like talk about Earl. He gets his face ripped off. It's it's a bit extreme. It's yeah. a bit extreme. But hey, my question know, is, how do they not know? Like, where was Michael that whole time? Like at the end, when they're when he's going to come up on the car, was he holding under the undercarriage? Cape Fear. Yeah, that's what he was doing. <laughs> he's just like uh, just like Cape Fear. But uh, you know, it's it's funny because you know we keep mentioning the Gore. And the gore is ratcheted up. This is of the 80s. This is of just before the twilight of the slasher genre. And even though the gore is ratcheted up, Halloween 4 still doesn't doesn't feel or come across like the Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street movies. There's no, no and, and I would where... even say, except for the face ripping scene, it doesn't even come across as Halloween 2. I think Halloween 2 is actually bloodier than Halloween 4. You know, I th- there's, I think there's only one thing, and it's the shotgun in the gut. That uh, yeah, but even then, you don't see that much gore th- with it. I mean, it, it's a it's a horrific death, but you don't see too much more than when Bob gets pinned to the wall with the knife. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Although it does, um, it it did have a place in the the uh, haunted house in that. Oh, I'm sure it did. It's one of the best kills in this movie. It was traumatic. I can tell you it was traumatic to see it uh, in person. Again, childhood freaking, now, were screaming. You, now, now, I'm curious. Were you still traumatized in that thing, where, even though was the guy wearing the mask from this film? Because that's one of the issues I do have is I don't like this mask. It looks weird. Uh, the mask in this is too White. too white yeah uh yes they they were wearing the mask from this film but it i you know i'm not as hard on the mask in this film because hey it's 10 years later he had to get a new one um so okay i'm not hard on it it just looks weird it looks very odd that this is you know the mask is something that i'll have a problem with for the next few films actually but i mean yeah what I, are you gonna do they i will say you know i don't think they <laughs> The one thing I guess that you, I can give Rob Zombie credit for when we get to those films is that's the first time I think since the first two where the mask has looked somewhat close to what it used to look like. Yeah. But and then finally this you know 2018 version it looks like the original. They just dirtied it up. Yeah, I uh, I the the mask in this I think I let it off the hook a lot of times because it works really well like in that shot that i mentioned before where mm-hmm. it's brightly in the background it's easy to like it it's almost like a cheat because of course it's not dean cundy lighting this and cundy was a master of that shadow reveal yeah and so this is a little bit more jarring 
but I think that it works because it's more, uh, not more, it's, it is different, but I'm willing to give it a break because of its sort of, um, I guess it's just an over-the-top version of The Mask. And right. since what's happening here is over-the-top and it's 10 years later and stuff like that, and it really works well in the light flashes of lightning or stuff like that or needing to see it in the background, I think that it it pops well. I think part of it, too, is, like, if I remember correctly, like, I, I'm not a big fan of, this is a weird thing to say, but, like, the eyebrows of The Mask makes the face look like it's surprised the whole time. Um Maybe because he's they're surprised so, they're he's still so, alive. They're so arched upwards. Yeah, but he's he's surprised he's still alive. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm still here. Um, you know, I I mean that I agree. Like it, it, it's one of those things where like I agree the mask is not as effective uh, in this one. But what I will give it credit for is that they still, you know, because this this changes with every movie too. This is one of the masks where you can't see the eyes. Still, that's a good thing. That's a plus. Uh, yes, I yeah. Um, because I think that's a very unnerving thing. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's sort of the thing that the, the masks that work in the series, it's because you can't see the eyes. Now two, you do see the eyes in only in certain shots though. Yeah. It, it's in, uh, the, the early kill and, uh, when he gets shot in the face, uh, you see his eyes in the mask. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it just gives him a more nightmarish quality. Because well, uh, it's more works. of a blank, yeah. You know, people can still emote with their eyes, but if you can't see anything, there is literally no emotion to that face. Well, uh, the eyes are the windows to the soul, right? Isn't right. that uh, the saying? I, so you know, we we get to the truck chase, we get to the conclusion of yeah. Hollywood how do you Ford. like? A, first of all, uh, do you like a Death by Firing Squad? Yes, because that was pretty cool. Yes. I mean, I know it's not going to work because he's been shot before, but it was a great way to end this one. Listen, shooting him until he falls back into a deep, deep hole is essentially what, you know, childhood John would say, well, that's that's what you should do. Get everybody, give everybody a gun that you possibly can and have everybody stand there and shoot him. I love how it's the state troopers and the rednecks that survived. (laughs) They're all shooting at him. Yeah, man, that 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 completely works. Yeah, uh, no, it's pre- it's pretty awesome. But the ending, oh yeah, the ending, which uh, I'm sure like that had to be a great part of the of the haunted house. When does it not? She's they had there. to have like a, they had to have a Jamie stand in. Uh, they did, and they did. Uh, they I, I don't recall if it was a mannequin or not, but yes, Jamie was there, um, with the mask. And actually, one of the rooms you walked through had uh, like a mannequin, mm-hmm. I guess, um, that looked like a little girl dressed up like Jamie with her her uh, arms around her knees and her head buried down and you could hear a little girl voice piped in through the the speakers uh, saying it's only a dream it's only a dream and then Michael came right. out of the corner uh, or the shape came out of the corner and uh, that was that was very thrilling but yes the ending to this I think speaks of a movie that we could have had. That would have been amazing. Yeah, it speaks to an awesome part five that never got made. I And it's heartbreaking because the end of this is so beautiful. And I think maybe that's why I interpret that first scene as a psychic connection. Right. For those of you who have never seen it, so basically the end is Michael gets killed, quote unquote, by firing squad. But uh, 
before he before they do shoot him you know to hell jamie touches his hand at one point mm-hmm. um and so when they go back home they think you know everything's good it's all over we survived the stepmother goes up to give jamie a bath and then you just see like they do the replication of the point of view scene from the first movie the opening of the first movie mm-hmm. um and you you know someone stabs the the stepmother and then Dr. Loomis comes around and has like a complete meltdown. This is when poor Loomis, I think, loses his mind for the rest of the series because he, his sanity is just broken. And you see Jamie there with the mask on with this like pair of scissors and it's really creepy and it ends on that cliffhanger. And it, it like I said, it promised a great sequel that we never got. Yeah. And I think it speaks as well to the, the fact that, um, again, this is another instance where that backbone is stronger than your typical slasher movie the for any other flaw that i might point out about this film or that anybody else might point out the core of it is strong and it ends in a truly horrifying way that just opens up so many possibilities for what they could have done and what i expected them to do after Halloween four. Right. I mean, after I saw this, I really was excited to see five. You can imagine my disappointment. We'll talk about that next show. Yeah. There, there's definitely disappointment with five. (laughs) There is no question on that front. Uh, So, you know, I, I, I think that uh, four is not great, but it holds up. Like it's, there are, there are entries in this series where they can start out, a little bit higher or a little bit lower and they fluctuate mm-hmm. four is one of those ones where it comes in and it sticks it it's plateaued and it doesn't really change you know my estimation of it doesn't vary greatly over time right no i i agree i think it's the the word i use is this is solid i think two is probably still the best sequel until this new one um and yeah, this is. I just think this is a really competently made movie. It's it's well acted. It's for the most part well written, which is saying something because this was written amidst the writer strike of '88. Mm-hmm. So I mean, for the script to turn out as well as it did, I think it's a testament to it was a pretty good story to begin with. Yeah. So I'm very happy with Halloween Four. There, are, you know, there are not too many more of the sequels that I actively love. I know that we differ on H2O. I like H2O, but it'll be fun to go back to that one because I think that one does have a great third act, but I also think it probably has not aged well. Um, But um, yeah, as as far as some of the sequels go, I mean, I can watch this one along with two and be totally satisfied and happy, except for the fact that it promises a great five that I never got. Yeah, it is. It is a shame. It is a shame, but uh you know, if anybody else wants to toss around some thoughts about Halloween 4 with you, where can they find you online? They can find me at mhanson0207 on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at KesselJunkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. And you can find me here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing, his little Star Wars podcast. And uh, thank you for joining us for You Can't Kill the Boogeyman. Yes, that was a great talk on part four. Join us next time when we talk about part five and the profound disappointment that John and I both had. But until that time, John, 
It was the boogeyman. As a matter of fact, it was. 